Good evening, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Living Light Outdoors on the mic with you. Story time with Buster. We are uh, proceeding on with the final quest. We're in the chapter of the White Throne. It was a long chapter. We're still not going to get through it tonight. There's uh, quite a bit in here. I'm really, I'm, I'm really praying that you're taking what's being spoken here. I, I do get messages from people of how impactful some of these things that, that we've read in this book have been. Uh, keep in mind that Rick Joyner, the writer of the Final Quest and, and the books that we've done, um, is not writing from a perspective of anything but what he's seen. These are visionary. These are not prophetic. These are not what could be. These are things that God has shown him and poured into him as he writes these. So, so keep that in mind. These are visionary. Uh, this is uh, this is based on his uh, visions that God has given him and the the time spent with the Lord. So, we're going to pick up in the chapter of the White Throne with purified love. Simply wanting to prolong our conversation, I asked the next question that came to my mind. Is it difficult for you and your husband to be here together? Not at all, she responded. All of the relationships you have on earth are continued here. They are all purified by the judgment and by the fact that they are now spiritual, just as we are now spirit. The more you are forgiven, the more you love. After we forgave each other, we loved each other more. Now our relationship is continuing in much greater depth and richness, because we are joint heirs of this salvation." As deep as the wounds were that we afflicted upon each other, that is how deep the love was able to reach when we were healed. We could have experienced this on earth, but we did not learn forgiveness in time. If we had learned forgiveness, the competition that entered our relationship and sidetracked our lives would not have been able to take root in us. If you truly love, you will truly forgive. The harder it is for you to forgive, the further you are from true love. Forgiveness is essential or you will stumble and stray from the course chosen for you. I realized that this woman who had brought me into such confrontation with the pain of my own depravity was also the most attractive person I could ever remember meeting. It was not a romantic attraction, but I just did not want to leave her. Perceiving my thoughts, she withdrew a step, indicating that she was about to go. But before leaving, she offered me some final insights. The pure truth, spoken in pure love, will always attract she said. You will remember the pain you feel here, and it will help you through the rest of your life. Pain is good. It shows you where there is a problem. Do not try to reduce the pain until you find the problem. God's truth often brings pain as it highlights a problem that we have, but His truth will always show us the way to freedom. When you know this, you will even begin to rejoice in your trials, which are allowed to help keep you on the path of life. Your attraction to me is not out of order. It is the attraction between male and female that was given in the beginning, which is pure in its original form. When pure truth is combined with pure love, men can be the men they were created to be without having to dominate women out of insecurity. Such domination is nothing but lust, which is the lowest depth to which love falls because of our sin. With true love, men become true men. Women, likewise, can be the women they were created to be because their love has replaced their fear. Love will never manipulate or try to control out of insecurity because love casts out all fear. The very place where relationships can be the most corrupted is also where they can be the most fulfilling after redemption has worked in them. True love is a taste of heaven 
and lust is the enemy's ultimate perversion of the glory of heaven. To the degree that you are free of lust on earth, you will begin to experience heaven. But I do not think I have felt any lust for you or for anyone while I've been here. I mildly protested. On the contrary, I was marveling that I could behold one with your beauty and not feel lust. That is because you are here. The light of his glory here casts out all darkness. But if you were not here, lust would be gripping you now, she said. I'm sure you're right. Can we ever be free from this terrible perversion on earth, I begged. Yes, as your mind is renewed by the spirit of truth, you will not see relationships as opportunities to take from others, but to give. Giving provides the greatest fulfillment that we can ever know. The most wonderful human relationships are but fleeting glimpses of the ecstasy that comes when we give ourselves to the Lord in pure worship. What we experience in worship here, your frail, unglorified body could not endure. The true worship of God will purify the soul for the glory of true relationships. Therefore, you must not seek relationships, but true worship. Only then can relationships start to be what they were supposed to be. True love never seeks to be first, or to be in control, but rather it takes the place of humble service. If my husband and I had kept this in our marriage, we would be sitting next to the king now, and this great hall would be filled with many more souls. Removing More Veils With that, the reformer's wife disappeared back into the ranks of the glorified saints. I looked again towards the throne, and was taken aback, because the glory appeared so much more beautiful than it had before. Another man standing close to me explained, With each encounter, a veil is being removed so that you can see him more clearly. You are not changed just by seeing his glory, but by seeing it with an unveiled face. Those who come to the true judgment of God walk a corridor such as this to meet those who can help them remove whatever veils they are still wearing, veils that will distort their vision of him. I felt that I had already absorbed more understanding than many, many years of ministry on earth had given me, all my study and seeking on earth had apparently only led me forward at a snail's pace. Even many lifetimes would not have prepared me to face the judgment. My life had already disqualified me more than all those I had met, and it seemed that they had barely made it here. How could those who have not been given the grace of this experience have any hope at all, I ask? I heard a new voice say, What you are experiencing here has been given you on earth. Every relationship... Every encounter with another person could teach you what you are learning here if you keep that cloak of humility on and learn to always keep your attention fixed on His glory. You are being given this experience now because you will write the vision, and those who read it will understand it. Many will then be able to carry the glory and the power that will need in the last battle. I was amazed to recognize this man as a contemporary of mine, for I did not even know he had died. I had never met him on earth but he had a great ministry which I respected very much. Through men that he had trained, thousands had been led to salvation, and many large churches had been raised up that were almost totally devoted to evangelism. He asked if he could just embrace me for a minute, and I agreed, feeling quite awkward. When we were embraced, I felt such love coming from him that a great pain deep within me stopped hurting. I had become so used to the pain that I did not even notice it until it stopped. After he released me, I told him that his embrace had healed me of something. His joy at this was profound. Then he began to tell me why he was on the lowest rank in heaven. I became so proud near the end of my life that I could not imagine that the Lord would do anything of significance unless he did it through me. I began to touch the Lord's anointed and to do his prophet's harm. I was selfishly proud 
when the Lord used one of my own disciples, and I became jealous when the Lord moved through anyone who was outside of my own ministry. I would search for anything that was wrong with them in order to expose them. I did not know what, that every time I did this, I only devoted myself further. I never knew that you had done anything like that, I said, surprised. I did not do it myself, but I incited men under me to investigate other ministries and to do my dirty work. I had them scour the earth to find any error of sin in the life of others so that they could be exposed. I became the worst thing that a man can become on the earth, a stumbling block who produced other stumbling blocks. We sowed fear and division throughout the church, all in the name of protecting the truth. In my self-righteousness, I was headed for perdition. But in his great mercy, the Lord allowed me to be struck by a disease that would bring about a slow and humiliating death. Just before I died, I came to my senses and I repented. I am thankful to be here at all. I may be one of the least of his here, but it is much more than I deserve. I just could not leave this room until I had a chance to apologize to those of you that I so wronged. But you never wronged me, I said. Oh, but I did indeed, he replied. Many of the attacks that came against you were from those I had agitated and encouraged in their assaults on others. Even though I may not have personally carried out the attacks, the Lord holds me as responsible as those who did. I see. Of course, I forgive you. Judging the stumbling blocks. I was already beginning to remember how I had done the same thing, even though on a smaller scale. I recalled how I had allowed disgruntled former members of a nearby church to spread their poison about that church without stopping them. By allowing them to do this without correcting them, I had, in effect, encouraged them to continue. At the time, I had rationalized that this was justified because of the errors of that church. I had even repeated many of their stories, justifying it under the guise of enlisting prayers for them. Soon a great flood of memories of other such incidents began to arise in my heart. Again, I was starting to be overwhelmed by the evil and the darkness of my own soul. I, too, have been a stumbling block, I wailed. I knew that I deserved death and that I deserved the worst kind of hell. I had never seen such ruthless and cruelty as I was now seeing in my own heart. We actually comforted ourselves by thinking we were doing a God a favor when he attacked his children, continued the understanding voice of this man. It is good for you to see this here, because you can go back. Please warn my disciples of their impending doom if they do not repent. Many of them are called to be kings here, but if they do not repent, they will face the worst judgment of all, the judgment of the stumbling blocks. My humbling disease was grace from God. When I stood before the throne, I asked the Lord to send such grace to my disciples. I cannot cross back over to them, but he has allowed me this time with you. Please forgive and release those who have attacked you. They really do not understand that they are doing the work of the accuser. Thank you for forgiving me, but please also forgive them. It is in your power to retain sins or to cover them with love. I entreat you to love those who are now your enemies. I was so overwhelmed with my own sin that I could hardly hear this man. He was glorious and pure and obviously now had powers that were not known on the earth. Yet he was entreating me with a great humility. I felt such love coming from him that I could not even imagine refusing him. But even without the impact of his love, I felt far more guilty than anyone attacking me could possibly be. Certainly I must deserve anything that they have done to me, and much more, I replied. That is true, but it is not the point here, he entreated. Everyone on earth is deserving of the second death, but our Savior brought us grace and truth. If we are to do his work, we must do everything in both grace and truth. Truth without grace is what the enemy brings when he comes in as an angel of light. 
If I can be delivered from this, maybe I will be able to help them, I replied. But can't you recognize that I am far worse than they could possibly be? I know that what just passed through your memory was bad, he answered with profound love and grace. I knew that he had now become as concerned for me and my condition as he had been for his own disciples. This really is heaven, I blurted out. This really is light and truth. How could we who live in such darkness become so proud, thinking we know so much about God? Impulsively, I yelled in the direction of the throne, Lord, please let me go and carry this light back to earth. Immediately, the entire host of heaven seemed to stand at attention, and I knew that I was the center of their gaze. I felt so insignificant before just one of these glorious ones, but when I knew they were all looking at me, fear came like a tidal wave. I felt that there could be no doom like I was about to experience. Surely I was the greatest enemy of the glory of the truth that fulfilled that place. When I thought about my request to go back, I realized I was too depraved. I could never adequately represent such glory and truth. There was no way that I could in my corruption convey the reality of the glorious place and presence. I felt that even Satan had not fallen as far as I had. This is hell, I thought. There could be no worse pain than to be as evil as I was and know that this kind of glory exists. To be banned from here would be torture worse than I ever feared. No wonder the demons are so angry and demented, I said under my breath. Just when I felt that I was about to be banished to the deepest regions of hell, I simply cried, Jesus. Immediately a deep peace came over me. I knew I had to move on toward the glory again, and somehow I had to be confident to do it. The Writer's Remorse I kept moving until I saw a man I considered to be one of the greatest writers of all time. I had encountered his insights into the truth to be possibly the greatest I had encountered in all my studies. Sir, I have always looked forward to this meeting, I blurted out. As have I, he replied with genuine sincerity. I was surprised by his comment, but I was so excited meeting him that I continued. I feel that I know you, and in your writings I felt like you somehow knew me. I think I owe more to you than anyone else who is not canonized in Scripture. You are very gracious, he replied, but I am sorry that I did not serve you better. I was a shallow person, and my writings were shallow, filled more with worldly wisdom than divine truth. I know that what you are saying must be true, because you can only speak the truth here, I told him. Yet, it is hard for me to understand. I think your writings are some of the best that we have on earth. You are right, this famous writer admitted with sincerity. It is so sad. Everyone here, even those who sit closest to the king, would live their lives differently if they had them to live over. But I think I would live mine more differently than most. I was honored by kings, but failed the king of kings. I used the great gifts and insights that were given to me to draw men more to myself and my wisdom than to him. Besides, I only knew him by the hearing of the ear, which is the way I compelled other men to know him. I made them dependent on me and on others like me. I turned them more to deductive reasoning than to the Holy Spirit, whom I hardly knew. I did not point men to Jesus, he continued, but to myself and others like me who pretended to know him. When I beheld him here, I wanted to grind my writings into powder, just as Moses did to the golden calf. My mind was my idol, and I wanted everyone to worship my mind with me. Your esteem for me does not cause me to rejoice. If I had spent as much time seeking to know him as I did seeking to know about him in order to impress others with my knowledge, many of those who are in the lowest of companies would be sitting in the thrones 
that were prepared for them, and many others would be in this room. I know that what you are saying about your work must be true, but aren't you being a little too hard on yourself? I questioned. Your works fed me spiritually for many years, as I know they have multitudes of others. I am not being too hard on myself, he responded. All that I have said is true, and it was confirmed when I stood before the throne. Even though I produced a lot, I was given more talents than almost anyone here, and I buried them beneath my own spiritual pride and ambitions. Just as we learn from the example of Adam, we could have carried the whole human race into a most glorious future, but by his failure led billions of souls into the worst of dooms instead. With authority comes responsibility. The more authority you are given, the more potential for both good and evil you have. Those who will rule with him for the ages will know responsibility of the most profound kind. No man stands alone, and every human failure or victory resonates far beyond our comprehensions, even to the generations to come. I couldn't help reflecting on the beautiful and articulate phrases that this man had written. He was the epitome of a wordsmith, a craftsman who turned words into works of art. But here he was, speaking as a common man, without the flair of which his writings were so well known. Although he knew what I was thinking, as did everyone here, he continued with what he clearly thought was more important. Had I sought the Lord himself instead of knowledge about him, I could have successfully led many thousands, which would have resulted in many more millions being here now. Anyone who understands that the true nature of authority would never seek it. They would only accept it when they knew they were yoked with the Lord, the only one who can carry authority without stumbling. Never seek influence for yourself, but only seek the Lord and be willing to take His yoke. My influence did not feed your heart, but rather your pride and knowledge. How can I know that I am not doing the same? I asked as I began to think of my own writings. Study to show yourself approved unto God, not men, he replied as he walked back into the ranks. Before disappearing, he turned and with the slightest smile offered one last bit of advice. And do not follow me. All right, we're going to pull it in and stop right there. What an incredible chapter. What an incredible writings here. So much depth involved in this. There's just so much to take in. I, I pray that you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm praying that you're, 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 you're grasping what's being spoken here. Man, go back and listen to these again. Maybe go back and listen to them in succession that you, you can, can fully take in what, what God is speaking through these writings. Rick Joyner is very right. It, it, it's not about the writing. He's, he's not writing to glorify himself. He's writing these things so that we might really get an understanding of what truth really is, of what our calling really is. And I pray that you're catching that in the midst of this. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Storytime with Buster. Ron and I are praying for you. We love you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. Please continue to follow us. Please continue to support us. Share these podcasts out with anyone that you think needs to hear them. Amen. Partner with us as we journey through this life, seeking out that which is lost so that it may be found. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.